The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Psalm 69. That's where we're going to start this morning. A few weeks back, several weeks back, I began a study on entitled Servants of the Living God. And we've already looked at several different things. Uh, the first week, we, we defined what a servant is. We defined where we are to serve, and we, we, we discussed when we serve. And then we looked at prerequisites to serving God. Uh, I, I said three things. I said, first, we must choose to serve God. God will not force us to serve him. He's called us to serve. He's equipped us to serve. But he will not force us to serve. And, and we must, as, as his children, we must choose to serve. It's, it's just like if you're a parent and you have children, um, you can do whatever you want, but they choose whether they're going to obey you or not. Uh, so that's the same thing. We must choose to serve God. Secondly, I said we must commit to serving God. Serving God takes a commitment. It's not it's not a matter of, well, how do I feel today? Do I feel like serving God today? Do I feel like doing the right things? Do, do I feel like being the right kind of person? No, it's a commitment. We, we commit. Uh, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Uh, Moses chose to suffer affliction with the people of God. So we, it's a commitment. And then I said, thirdly, we must continue in our service to God. And, and that means we don't quit. When it gets tough, when it gets hard, when, when, it, when it's more difficult than we thought, when it, when it requires more of us than we, than we, than we thought would, we still, we still do it. We continue serving God. Then we began looking at the attributes of service. Uh, I said first that service will demand sacrifice. And sometimes that sacrifice is personal things in our lives. It may be acquaintances. It may be, it may be, um, Jobs, it may be many things that we sacrifice in order to be a servant for the living God. I said, secondly, service will lead to suffering. And it will. Jesus, Jesus warned us and said that the world hated him and it will hate us. And we must endure afflictions and we must endure sufferings for our stand and our posture as a Christian. And then thirdly, I said, service will result in selflessness. And the one thing we learn from serving God is we learn to serve others. And we learn to put others before ourselves. And so we're not so selfish. We're more selfless. And that's an attribute of, of a servant of God. Then fourthly, I, I, I said last time we met, I said two things. First is that a servant is faithful. And we, we, we looked at the fact that we're to be faithful. And I, I, gave, I gave four attributes of faithfulness. The first one is constancy, which means uh, being unchanging. The second was loyalty, which is true to a purpose. The third one was dedication, which implies steadfastness. And fourthly, we, we talked about fidelity, which is purity of affection. And then fifthly, we said a servant is fearless. And uh, we talked a little bit about what it takes to be a fearless Christian, to, to have courage, to live courageously. I said, believing leads to testing. Testing builds confidence, and confidence produces courage. So those are the things we've looked at so far. Now today I want to continue with number six on the list, 
And that is this, that a servant is fervent. A servant is fervent. Let's pray before we we go any further. Father, thank you for this time that we have. I pray that you would be the teacher of your word today. Help me to say those things that edify and build up. And use this time today to instruct us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. A servant is fervent. Now, fervent, the definition is to be marked by great intensity of feeling. Um, what, 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 what is fervency? Well, today, there are going to be 80 or, or so thousand people cl- clump, cl- climb into one building to watch the stupid bowl, I mean the Super Bowl. And we're going to pay, uh, I don't even want to think about what, what, what money is paid to these athletes and, and all these things, you know, it's just crazy. It's crazy. But those people are fervent. Many of them have, 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 have spent thousands and thousands of dollars and have gone to Minnesota to be there for that, for that one game and they're going to spend thousands and thousands of dollars to get home and, and all these things and, and, and all for what? For a football game. Now, I like football. I'm not that crazy about it, but I like football. But that's, that's what you call real dedication, isn't it? That's real fervency for people to, to, to be that involved, that intense for that event. Look with me at Psalm 69, if you would, and we'll begin reading in verse number 6. And the psalmist here, David, writes, Let not them that wait on thee, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed for my sake. Let not those that seek thee be confounded for my sake, O God of Israel. Because for thy sake I have borne reproach. Shame hath covered my face. I am become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproached thee are fallen upon me. And here, uh, David is is explaining to, uh, or in his prayer, he's expressing that he has no, no, no regret for his actions. He has no regret for the, for the zeal with which he loved the Lord, for the fervency with which he worshipped and followed his God. Now this is the same zeal which was displayed by Christ the Lord when he chased the money changers out of the temple. You might remember that. Let's turn together to John chapter 2. We're going to turn to a lot of scriptures this morning. So um, bear with me. I don't project the Sunday school lesson up on the board, so these are scriptures I really want us to see. John chapter 2, and let's look beginning at verse number 13. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, He drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, these things hence make not my father's house and house of 
of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. We just read that in Psalm 69. And Jesus walked into the temple and saw the, the state of affairs, if you will. You know, it's kind of like if you go to a lot of churches in America today, um, the emphasis isn't on a pulpit that, that glorifies and honors the word of God being preached. The emphasis is on the, the praise band or, or uh, some other aspect of their service, which, which, by the way, is designed to glorify man and his own flesh, not God. Uh, put me in a pulpit that, that, that magnifies the word of God and makes me small. That's what I want. I don't, I don't need to be exalted and, and uplifted. The word of God is what is important. That's what we're here to study this morning. Thus saith the Lord, not thus saith Dalton. Okay? Uh, if you came here to hear me this morning, you wasted your time. Because I got nothing of value to say unless I'm, I'm saying it from the word of God. But Jesus was, was zealous. He was eaten up with, with zeal for, for the house of God and for the Lord. Now, we've already stated in previous lessons that, the serving, that a servant of the living God is fearless. Uh, he cares not what the world can or will do to him. Uh, this is what David was saying in Psalm 69. He's saying, let, let not your people, O Lord, be ashamed of me because of my stand, because of my position. Uh, let them not be ashamed of me because of the zeal that I have for you. Sometimes I've, I've, I've known Christians over, over the last 38 years of ministry. I've known Christians that are kind of put off by zealous believers. They kind of, they kind of, they feel a little embarrassed maybe. Huh? On the job, if, if there's a zealous Christian on the job and he's taking a stand for righteousness for the Lord, uh, sometimes Christians kind of want to, eh, they don't want to be too close to him because he's, he embarrasses them. And, and we have to be careful with that. And that's what David was talking about in Psalm 69. But we, we don't need to fear the world. We have nothing to fear of in the world. Look, let's go, we're, we're in John, back up a little bit, go to Luke. Luke chapter 12. And these, these are the words of the Savior. In verse 4 he says, And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. And of course, fear here, we're not talking simply about a feeling of apprehension. We're talking about also respect and, and reverence. So we, we, don't, we don't reverence the world. We, we reverence the Lord. And, and we, don't, we don't feel apprehension because of what the world can do. We we, we, we have a fear of the righteousness of God and what he can do. Listen, the only thing this world can do is send you to heaven. That's the only thing it can do. You ever think about that? The world can do, the, the worst thing that can possibly happen to you is that you would die. And if you die, you'll be in heaven. Amen? Will you? All right. 
Let's make sure of that. Okay. Yeah. I, sometimes, sometimes, not often. I don't, and I don't do this out loud because if I do, people will come grab me and put me in a in a psycho ward. But sometimes I kind of wish the Lord would take me home. Lord, I'm ready. You you ready? You punched my ticket yet, Lord? So we have a zeal, a fervency. We who serve the living God do not fear to preach in his name. You know, when I, when I, when I was just newly saved, I'd bring, I'd bring friends to church. And sometimes the preacher would really let it rip. And I'd think, wow, I wonder if they can handle this. And, you know, they would come back. And they wanted more. So I said, yeah, they can handle it, I guess. Uh, we don't have a fear. I, I have no fear of preaching truth. I, I, sometimes I'll say, I, I don't want to offend anyone, but if I do, I'm sorry. But I'm not. Because the word of God is truth and must be preached. And we have no fear. We, we don't fear preaching in his name. We do not fear to stand for truth and righteousness. We don't, we don't have a fear. Listen, a true servant of God has no fear for, for doing the right thing. I don't have any fear if my, if, my, if my supervisor calls me in the office at work and wants me to do something that's not ethical. I have no fear of standing up and saying, I won't do that. I'm not going to do that. You want to do it, you do it, or get someone else, but I will not do it. And you know what? He respects me for that. He really does. So we have no fear for taking a stand for truth and righteousness. We preach with boldness, and we preach with fervency, with, with zeal, with emotion. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6 now. Ephesians chapter 6. And we'll begin at verse number 13. We read here, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins, loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparations of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the devil. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Uh, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Boldly. We need to be bold in our, in, our, in our teaching of the Word of God. We need to be bold in the preaching of God's Word. Parents need to be bold in their home as they impart truth to their children. Husbands need to be bold in their relationships with their wives. Employees need to be bold on the job to take a stand for the Lord and, and for righteousness. But I might get fired. Then get fired. Guess what? The God who gave you that job will give you another job. Or don't you believe that? Oh, Lord, well, we're going, we're going to be bold on the job, Lord, as long as it doesn't cost us our job. You know. 
That's all right. The Lord will get you an- give you another job. By the way, I have no doubt he gave me the job I have right now. And I have no doubt he gave me that job because he wants me to be a testimony to him in that place. And that I will be. Oh, but there's laws. Yeah, there's laws, but you... Listen, the job I had before this, people would come to me at my desk and ask me biblical questions. Now I would tell them, look, I can't answer that question right now, but I will be taking a break in about 20 minutes. And I'll be out there by that tree. You come out there and sit there with me, and I will tell you what you want to know. And, and, and take that position and take that stand. Be bold. Paul prayed that he would boldly preach the gospel, the true message of salvation, through Christ and Christ alone. But what is the message that we hear today? Even among many believers, what do we hear today? Well, it's a message of compromise. Compromising truth for situational ethics. Compromising faith to take advantage of opportunities. It's a message of worldliness. John warned us about that. He talked about the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. These are the things in the world. These are the things which, which, will, uh, which will seek to destroy the believer's walk with his, with his Savior. The message of worldliness. What do we hear today? It's a message of tolerance, right? Isn't it? That's all we hear today, tolerance. Tolerance for the Muslims. Tolerance for the cultists. Tolerance for the homosexuals. Tolerance for the blasphemers. Tolerance for the haters of God. But make no mistake this morning, there's no room for tolerance for the children of God in this world. Don't you dare criticize a homosexual. Don't you dare criticize a Muslim, don't you dare criticize a cultist, but say anything you want about Christians. That doesn't matter. So there's no tolerance in this world for you and me. I'm tired of seeing all that we hold dear in this country being thrown to the dogs. You see, I'm old enough to remember a better America. I remember growing up as a boy I remember Fourth of July parades. And I remember the patriotism that was exhibited by everyone. Now they burn flags and, and stomp on them in the ground, and, and yet they, they consider that uh, to be patriotic. I remember, I remember when America was still great. And I'm tired of watching it all go away. I'm tired of watching our liberties and our freedoms which were purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ and were continued through the centuries by the blood of the saints and the martyrs. I'm tired of watching them being stripped away one by one each day by men and women who hate God and seeing them sacrificed by God's people who are too afraid to stand up and say enough is enough. I want you to go with me to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 3. Now, this is a story we we should all know well. This is the story of the three Hebrew children. Nebuchadnezzar had raised the 90-foot idol of himself. 
and declared that at the sound of, of, of the musical instruments, every, every man, every woman, every child in the, in the kingdom were to stop and face that statue and were to bow down. And the, the penalty for that, if you didn't do that, you were, you were going to be cast alive into the fiery furnace. And, and here we see the big day arrives and the, the trumpet plays and the, all the instruments play and all the people bow down except three. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't bow down. And they were brought before the king. And they made, a, they made a proclamation. They declared something to the king. Look at verse 17. Well, let's go to verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. And that word careful means afraid. It means anxious. We are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so. I want you to notice those words carefully. If it be so. You see, the reason they said if it be so is because they didn't know what God was going to do. But they knew that God's will would be done. So they said, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Now, I want to stop right there because you notice that statement they made that says, if it be so, uh, he, he, he is able to deliver us. And then, he, then next he says, but he will deliver us out of your hand. You know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, king, you may throw me in. And whether he delivers me or not, guess what? You'll never have another ounce of authority over me. He is going to deliver me from you. One way or the other. In verse 18, but if not, not if not, if not, he doesn't deliver me from you, but if he doesn't keep me out of the furnace. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Now, that is what we need in America today. That is what Christians need to stand up and declare to Washington, D.C. Listen, folks. I have to ask the question of myself this morning. Am I a servant of the living God? And if I claim to be his servant, do I serve him with the zeal that we see in Christ the Lord? If not, I cannot claim to be his servant. So stop, stop declaring yourself a servant of God. If you don't have a zeal to serve him. Just don't do it. Because the truth of the matter is. A servant. Is fervent. He has zeal for his Lord. Well I got to keep moving. Number seven. On your study sheets. A servant maintains. Fellowship. I want you to turn with me, please, to the book of 1 John. 
First John chapter 1. And we'll read verses 6 through 8. We read here, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, these are some powerful words that John wrote. And they are cutting words as well. You see, this passage of Scripture challenges our profession. Look again at verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him. If we claim to be partakers of the divine nature. If we claim to be a child of God. If we claim to possess and understand salvation by grace. Remember now. A lot of, many people profess to be a child of God. You know, 90% of people on the face of the earth claim to believe in God. 90%. That's a lot. It's nine out of every ten people claim to believe in God in, in one way or another. Only 10% of the world, according to surveys, are atheists. Now, that 90%, of course, will include some agnostics and, and some polytheists and, and, and other, other groups. But 90% of the population believe in a, in a deity, in a god in a, one form or another. Not, not 90% claim to be Bible-believing, Bible-professing Christians, of course, but... 90% claim to believe in God. So there's a lot of people. There are many people out there who profess to know God. And there are many who profess to serve God. What does God say about that? Well, look, look with me at Matthew chapter 7. Let's go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 7. In my... Chapel, when, when we had our school here in chapel, I used to have Bible drills every now and then. I'd give candy to the, to the student who found the scripture first and would stand and read it. Well, I might start that here, I don't know. Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Professions. They're just words. 
There are, there are many of these TV evangelists, for instance, who are, who are going to stand there and say, but, but Lord, I, I preached on TV, raised millions of dollars and gave a little bit of it to you. And, and I did all these wonderful works. I healed all these people and did all these things. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me. Because I never knew you. So, this scripture questions our profession. If we say that we have fellowship with him. I mean, you know, this morning as I prepared and, and studied and, and prayed, and I, I believe I have fellowship with Christ. You know, I don't want you to raise your hand, but I'm sure probably most of you, you would say, I have, I'm in fellowship with Christ. Well, you know, John is questioning that. If we say that we have fellowship with him. So how is our profession today? But then he goes on and he challenges not only their profession, but next he challenges their conduct. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness. If we live in sin, in other words, and rebellion. If we continue in the works of unrighteousness without remorse and without repentance. That's what he's saying. If, if, if you say you're in fellowship with Christ, yet you walk in sin. And I'm not talking about <laughs> stumbling into sin. We are, listen, none of us, none of us here are without sin. And, and John even mentioned that in verse 8. He said, he said, if you say you have no sin, the truth is not in you. We all sin. So, so yes, we, we sin. He didn't say if we say we have fellowship with, with God and sin. He said, and walk in sin. That means if we conduct our lives in sin, without remorse, without repentance. Now, it goes without saying here that the unregenerate man dwells in, in this state of darkness constantly. <laughs> we understand that an unsaved man does walk in sin daily and gives himself to sin and, and, and enjoys giving himself to sin. But... This emphasis here is directed to those who are of the house of faith, <coughs> yet live as one without Christ. See, we, we get up, many, many believers get up on Sunday morning and put on their best suit and comb their hair and brush their teeth and come to church and sing the hymns and say amen to the preaching and shake hands with everyone and smile and, and, and do all these things and they walk out the door and they close their Bibles and go home and they forget about God the rest of the week. This is who John's talking about. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We're going to look at verse number 28. 
We read here, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, uh, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. This is the the destitute state of so many today. We know all these things are wrong, yet we do them. And not only do we do them, but we take pleasure in associating ourselves with those that also do them. And to be in this state is to be at enmity with God. James chapter 4 and verse 4, James says, Know ye not, friendship with this world is the enmity with God. Therefore, whosoever will be a friend of this world is the enemy of God. Our fellowship is with Christ and Christ alone. And a true servant of the living God will maintain fellowship with the Lord. And when we walk in the light as Christ is in the light, we not only have fellowship with him, but we also have fellowship with one another. In verse 7 of, of, of 1 John, he said, But if ye walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. Now it's interesting. He didn't say we have fellowship with Christ. He said we have fellowship one with another. So listen to me now. If you truly love Christ, you will love his children. Jesus, in fact, stated this is the acid test. This is the proof of our servitude. And I don't have time to turn to it, but in John chapter 13, Jesus said uh, that when we have love for one another, this is how the world would know that we are his disciples. So don't tell me you love Jesus today unless you love the brethren. And don't tell me you are in fellowship with Christ if you are not in fellowship with your brethren. That means, that means if you absence yourself from church, if you absence yourself from opportunities of fellowship with God's people, you are truly not in fellowship with Christ. Because if you have, if we are truly in fellowship with Christ, and if we walk in the light as he is in the light, John said, you will have fellowship one with another. You see, we can't have fellowship in a, in, a, in a literal sense with Christ today because he's in heaven and we're here. But we do have fellowship with one another. As children of God, we, we love one another. We fellowship together. We, we help one another. So closing here real quickly, what does it mean to have fellowship? Well, give me give some characteristics. It means to be sociable. It means to possess camaraderie. It means to have friendship, to be like-minded. You see, the only way we can demonstrate our fellowship is by the way we interact with each other on this earth. One day we will dwell in fellowship in the presence of the Lord. However, we do this today by dwelling in fellowship together as servants of the living God.
Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.